From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm AJ Schultz. This is Podcast in Place, a series about life in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's official, folks. The COVID-19 pandemic is over. On May 5th, the World Health Organization declared an end to the global health emergency. The virus is now in its endemic phase, but that's not exactly as final as it sounds. Before we wrap up our series on life in the pandemic, we thought we'd check in with Alaska's chief medical officer one more time. Dr. Ann Zink dropped by our studio to chat with ATME producer Roe McCowan about what COVID's endemic phase means and what life may look like now that the pandemic emergency declarations are over. They spoke on April 25th, 2023, before the World Health Organization ended the global pandemic emergency. So when we spoke with you in October of 22, which was, I believe, the last time we spoke with you, um, you went through the entire pandemic without getting COVID once. Is that record still holding strong or? <laughs> still holding strong. Someone, uh, had I heard a new term today, a NOVID, uh, oh. someone who's not had COVID. So <laughs> I guess I'm a NOVID as of right now. I Fun. Not that I know of. I've tested mm-hmm. more times than I can count. Right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah, congratulations. Wow. I'll see. So we're sort of coming to the end of the pandemic, and this term, the endemic, has sort of been tossed around a lot. Could you explain what an endemic is and what it means for COVID? Yeah, it's a great question. So when something's endemic, it just means that there's some virus, some sort of pathology, um, some pathogen that's circulating in the community on a regular basis. So think of like flu. Mm -hmm. So that's endemic. We always have some degree of flu cases, and you can kind of have surging of flu cases, and they come down. We call those flu season. And so the real thought with COVID is it's not going anywhere. Uh, It will probably be with us as long as we all are here. (laughs) You know, it's really changed a lot um, since the very beginning. It doesn't cause people to be nearly as sick as it did at the early Mm -hmm. parts, um, but it moves really, really quickly from person to person. And so it will likely be circulating for a long time. And we'll just have to make sure that we continue to watch it. We understand how it's impacting humans finding ways to mitigate its impact on us and seeing if it becomes seasonal, um, trying to better understand who it impacts and and watching the virus as it changes. Yeah. So you mentioned that it it could become seasonal. Is there any sort of like prediction on if it will become seasonal? Should we expect like highs and lows of COVID? Are there any patterns that we can notice? Yeah, I think we can expect highs and lows in general, but to what degree it's seasonal still remains uh, to be seen. You know, it's interesting. We don't really understand very well why viruses are seasonal um, because even in communities that don't have, you know, really warm seasons and really cold seasons, they still see seasonal variation Mm. uh, between viruses. So it's not like, you know, places in the equator always have the same level of flu. They'll kind of get surges where they kind of come and go as well. Um, So we'll have to just continue to watch and, and see and that's the thing. We are all always in a battle against viruses and bacteria, and um, they impact us differently. And we try to do all we can to promote health and well-being with the pathogens that are out there. Yeah. So do you think that there will continue to be vaccine requirements or recommendations like with the flu vaccine? Like, will we have to get it like every year um, or like what is the frequency that we can expect those sorts of things, particularly with like follow up boosters? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we, again, don't know as of right now. We see decent protection if you've been vaccinated three times. So there's other viruses where we get vaccinated three times and that's mm-hmm. kind of considered a series. And then you've got really good kind of long acting protection against that. 
Um, and so the length of three doses is unknown, uh, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, if you've previously had COVID, how well protected are you there? Um, and how this virus is going to change or not. Right. So we'll see. We did see a change that just came out recently. Um, the major bodies that kind of regulate vaccines and give recommendations did just say that if you are immunocompromised and you're over 65, you can consider getting a repeat dose if it's been greater than six months. Right. So particularly for those who are high risk, there has been mm-hmm. a small change there. Um but we'll have to see if after a primary series of kind of three doses, if people are going to need it yearly mm-hmm. or, or not. Yeah. Still be determined. Yeah. So you sort of mentioned policies and things like that around COVID have, have been changing and a lot of the health declarations um, have been ending. But the virus is still very much a part of our lives. So what does this mean for COVID resources like testing, vaccines you sort of mentioned, and treatments? Yeah, so another great question. I think that initially the real focus was trying to really not overwhelm the healthcare system until we had tools to better to allow individuals to protect themselves, healthcare establishments to be open for everything from the car accident to COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's in a very different place than it was previously. Right. And so the public health emergency is ending. Uh, May 11th will actually be the final day of that. I know. <laughs> uh, we were just talking with other people in my position around other states of just recognizing that it's been a long journey for yeah. all of us. Mm-hmm. And the ending of that um, is, if nothing else, a symbolic big deal right. uh, yeah, in, yeah. in that space. I think the practical side, we shouldn't see gigantic changes in a lot of things. We've right. already kind of built in you know, your doctor's office, over-the-counter testing are there. We'll have to see if those companies stay in business to continue mm-hmm. to offer over-the-counter testing. We want to continue to make sure that people who are uninsured have access to testing. Mm-hmm. We still are really making sure that patients have access to treatment if they're high risk. Um, so like our COVID line is still open. The state does this process for kind of bulk purchasing vaccines that are recommended every year. It's this program called AVAP, and we bulk mm-hmm. purchase flu vaccine and children's vaccines. So we've added COVID vaccine to that so okay. that, you know, once on the commercial market, the state can bulk purchase it to make it cheaper right. uh, for insurance and providers to kind of help drive down the cost with it. So it's just being incorporated into all of these different mechanisms of mm-hmm. our healthcare system. So sort of along those lines, I can get my flu vaccine um, like for free with certain insurances and like I can just go to Walgreens when it's flu season and get the flu vaccine. Will that sort of thing be available um, for the COVID vaccine going forward? Yeah, that's the goal. That if it's recommended that, you know, through certain insurances, you should be able to just pop into your local pharmacy and be able to get it. Fun. So just flu, COVID. Flu, COVID. Yeah. Yeah, Who knows? We'll have to see. There may be a a time down the road where it's flu and COVID in the same shot and then you don't even have to get two shots. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's fun. Yep. Previously, during the pandemic, there were certain accommodations given for people. There was a difference between taking off sick leave and taking off COVID leave. Do you think that difference will continue to be present or will there be changes about like the severity of the COVID case that you have or um, staying home for five days and then masking for five days? Like, What will look that, that look like in the workplace and in schools? Yeah, I think it's really different depending on what the workplace is. I think most workplaces have already kind of transitioned to this idea um, that if you have COVID, it's kind of sick leave um, in that space or you can telework during that time so you Mm -hmm. don't expose other people, particularly if you're feeling well. I think there's still more work to be done there, particularly in high-risk environments Mm -hmm. like a hospital where you might be, you know, a nurse or a doctor going into care for patients and you might be caring for a high-risk individual. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that we'll be able to have better policies that no matter what you're sick from, 
particularly if you're caring for at-risk people, <laughs> right. that you are able to stay home and get better and yeah. not share your uh, bugs with everyone mm-hmm. else. Just in general. Just in general. Yeah. Like, I think that's just a good policy regardless. Yeah. And I am really grateful for the variability that we've all become more flexible in using Zoom and Teams and chat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I already see it with my colleagues in all sorts of ways. They're like, I'm not feeling as well today. I'm going to stay home. And I think that's good for our health regardless for that individual as well as other things. So that's where I'm hoping and where I've seen most uh, businesses and employers move to. Transitioning more into like, you know, working from home and teleworking and being able to zoom in, right, to school or to work. It is a good transition that I think is so helpful for everybody. Yeah. And then you don't have to share your cold, but you can still stay connected to what's happening with school or work if you're feeling well enough to. Yeah. So for a long time, we just the general population was supposed to mask in places like airports and hospitals. Um, Should we continue to wear those sort of PPE masks um, in those public spaces where there are like potentially high risk individuals? What should like, what should that look like for the general population? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's a hard question. I think some of these things would become really polarized and political and people have a lot of feelings uh, about (laughs) masks and other things. Um, And it's a tool. It's that's all it is. Is it a tool to help reduce how much virus you might shed to others as well as how much um, you're exposed to an individual? So everyone's going to have their own risk uh, assessment of what they're comfortable or with not. I think just being kind and respectful to those around us. You know, I was recently at a legislator's office and one of the staff members' mom is really sick who he's caring for. And mm-hmm. so there was a sign at the door that said, please wear a mask when you come into this office. Yeah. And so he was taking additional work precautions to keep himself healthy because he was caring for his elderly mom. And so respecting that. Yeah. Um, for myself, you know, if I am doing something where I don't need to speak to others, like I'm on the plane and I need to just get work done. For me, it's no big deal to throw my mask on. Right. And it's probably some decent chance I'll be less likely to pick up RSV or flu or whatever the person next to me might have, (laughs) Right. let alone COVID. And if I'm brewing something early, less chance I'll spread it to them. So in public places like that, I tend to throw mine on. um, Or if I'm sitting there listening to like a large lecture series. And then definitely if anyone asks me or I'm around immunocompromised people. So like in the emergency department, I wear it when I'm seeing patients regularly. Um, I'll take it off if a patient is having like is hard of hearing, is having mm-hmm. a hard time hearing me. Yeah. Um, just knowing that I've got to modify my tools to meet right. the needs of my patient right. at that moment. It's a tool. It's a tool. It's yeah. All it is. Yeah. <laughs> so how should we treat COVID now in terms of treatment testing? Um, you know, it's there are cert- like certain guidelines dictated by the CDC and the World Health Organization and things like that, but in particularly in Alaska, is there anything that we should be doing differently? Um, should we treat it just like it's the flu or should we continue to stay home? Mask for five days, I think, is the, po- the policy right now. Like what how should we treat the covid? Yeah, if you test positive for covid, you know, it's still that same like staying away from others for five days and then wearing a mask for five additional days is the recommendation. Mm-hmm. It's just going to help reduce the chance that you spread it to someone else. And yeah. maybe they're caring for someone who's at risk or older. You still see patients regularly who come into the emergency department quite sick with mm-hmm. COVID. So it's still here and it's still around. Yeah. Um, that being said, I, I think, again, the virus has changed. Our protection levels are different than what they were beforehand. So, again, practicing in the emergency department, it's more like other viruses that we see. We see some cases. We don't see a ton of cases. We see occasionally people get really sick but they tend to be people who are really immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. That being said, long COVID is very, very real. Yeah. And there's a lot of components to that. So in general, you know, um, 
you know, I don't lick my shoe because I want to expose right. myself to germs, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, there are reasonable precautions I take in my daily life to, like, wash my hands and right. not expose myself. And so I think of respiratory viruses in a similar sort of way, mm-hmm. like taking reasonable precautions to protect yourself. Right. Because in general, um, we're going to be exposed to a lot of viruses and our immune systems are fine. They don't <laughs> need to be exposed to licking your shoe or right. to people coughing in your face. Yeah. You'll get lots of exposure in just your daily life experience regardless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it possible that a new COVID variant could return case levels back to pandemic times? For sure. And actually, that's a lot of the time that we talk with CDC and others is what would that look like? What are the you know things that could potentially change? The other thing is there's a constant kind of overflow of viruses from animal hosts and from other populations into the human population. And we'll see some cases, sometimes they'll really emerge, sometimes they'll really quiet down. You know, H5N1, bird flu was Mm -hmm. recently one that we've been watching closely. It just didn't really move very easily from human to human. So we didn't kind of see it came off. Um, There's other ones like Marburg disease right now, which we're watching closely in Africa as another one. So Mm -hmm. COVID, we could easily see a variant and other diseases as well. So there's this kind of constant monitoring of viruses going on to understand what are the threats and what sort of um, public health tools can we use to really mitigate the the risk and impact to humans. But that sort of monitoring was present definitely before the COVID pandemic as well. So that's sort of always been constant. It was, but I would say that in general, the public health kind of infrastructure has been poorly funded. Mm. And it, um, you know, we saw the challenges during COVID and how hard it was to get that data and information out. And a lot of those underlying problems have not been solved. Right. So, I mean, I think for the average person going about their average life, you know, you don't need to panic about Marburg or right. You know, like, you're <laughs> Unless fine. you're traveling to Africa soon. But if you're traveling to Africa soon or, you know, you had some other recent sick contact, I think it's why, you know, reading those signs, answering right. the questions, honestly, making sure before you travel, you take precautions and then also just staying home staying if you're informed. sick. Yep. Yeah. Stay informed. I'll make a big difference. Yeah. Do you think that our understanding and our reaction to people being sick, having a cold or the flu or COVID during the pandemic has affected the way that we react to certain illnesses in our community? Because recently I got sick with some sort of like the flu or the cold or something like that. And uh, the first thing one of my friends asked me was, did you test for COVID? Mm Is there a way that we can respectfully ask someone if they're sick, if they've tested for COVID, and how do we respond? Do you think that the way that we respond to illness has changed, and how do we how do we respond to illness, particularly if we live with a high-risk person? How do we do that respectfully? It's hard. I mean, that's just a lot of human behavior all right. within that. You know, I think that we've had this golden era of vaccines and antibiotics where people have an expectation that they're not going to get sick. And I think COVID was the first time where we saw life massively disrupted by a virus. You know, 50 years ago, there was a sense that maybe we would eliminate viruses. Mm -hmm. And now we look back on that and laugh like, why would we have thought that? Like, you know, but we are always making assumptions of our time that 15 years, 20 years from now, we'll look back and be like, I can't believe we made that assumption. I mean, I look back at things that we thought about, I said, others said about covid that turned right. out to be very different. And yeah. that is the process of learning and moving forward. So I hope that we have a greater respect for illness um, and that we are just very vulnerable as humans. That doesn't mean that we need to be afraid. That doesn't mean that we need to not interact. That means that we just have to make each day the best we possibly can and take moderate precautions to keep ourselves healthy and well, be it physical exercise, diet, staying home more sick, 
eating well, all of those mm-hmm. things make a big difference. So yeah. um, I do think it's changed. I think people have a different perception. And as you mentioned, for those um, who are older, I think just compassion saying, you know, my mom's ill right now. I'd prefer if you're right. sick, you don't come over. Right. Or, you know, like being able to set those boundaries yeah. um, for illness, like we set boundaries for other things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As the pandemic has started to kind of wind down, um, hospitals and hospital staff in particular obviously have not seen um, as much of a influx of patients as they were at, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but it's still scary (laughs) to work in a hospital um but particularly at the beginning of the pandemic could you talk maybe about the long-term or short-term psychological effects of hospital staff who had to work like front lines um through the hardest parts of the pandemic you know i remember with my emergency department group we looked at each other and said probably a third of us are going to die you know just like looking at each other and one guy in a group was like, well, I'm the fat old one. It's probably going to be me, so I'm going to quit. And so he did. He stopped practicing clinically because it wow. was – there was a real pal- – I mean, I knew many emergency physicians who died early on wow. in the days of COVID. And, you know, I remember wearing big gas mask type masks and, like, these homemade gowns that were made out of, like, bedroom sheets and, like, rubber boots because we didn't have it, like, running out of gloves. And right. it was really scary. It was yeah. like, what does this look like when we have – I think that, that was really hard, and I think that that really had a toll. But I think a lot of healthcare workers really stood up to the challenge. We're like, this is what I was called for. I think what has become really hard since then has been the tension between healthcare workers and the public, particularly when there was a lot of tension about vaccines or no vaccines and mm-hmm. a lot of just anger. Right. And that became really exhausting. And, you know, I had nurses who would say, I don't want to ask about their COVID vaccine because I'm afraid for my physical safety. And so that, I think, has really worn on people. And unfortunately, you know, there was a lot of delayed care that took place during COVID. And so now our emergency departments or hospitals are not any less busy. Right. (laughs) They're still really busy. Um, But now it's really busy with things that were not diagnosed for a long time. And then, honestly, we're seeing diseases that I've never seen clinically, like syphilis. I never saw before. And now I see regularly. I saw this, you know, really sick girl the other day, beautiful, young covered in awful chicken pox and she was like i thought this disease didn't exist anymore and i was like when we vaccinate it doesn't but when we don't it can spread quite quickly and it was spreading amongst the community Mm -hmm. and she was ill she's really really ill from it so um i think unfortunately we're seeing that and i think that that's hard for healthcare workers as well yeah are there any plans to continue researching things like long COVID and the weird sort of effects that some people have had from COVID. Like there was a Washington Post article recently um, about how COVID affected menstrual cycles. Um, Could you speak on that, uh, maybe that particular weird sort of effect that some people have seen? And then also speaking on like long COVID and just further COVID research down the line. You know, medicine is much more of an art than a science, and uh, we are all also very uniquely individual people. Right. So oftentimes stress or any sort of autoimmune response can change things like menses. Like, I used to be a mountaineering guide. I never got my period when I was mountaineering. Like, it was just enough of a stress that it just didn't happen. (laughs) And so we do see variability in menses, both with having COVID and with vaccination, and probably has to do with an autoimmune response, Mm -hmm. but we're still learning about that space. 
there is significant funding going into the NIH and other centers to better understand long COVID. It's probably a series of different autoimmune reactions that are happening. There is an interesting study that came out the other day about boys who were born when their mother was pregnant with COVID and, you know, yeah. what's happening with like brain development. The thing is, is when your immune system responds, uh, it can sometimes go haywire in different directions. And there's a lot to learn in that space. So there's a lot of research that needs to be done. I think we'll be learning about, we're still learning about the flu and the flu has been right. around forever as yeah. well. So there's a, there will continue to be a lot to be learned. Um, but I, I hope that we'll continue to try to just be open to the science and data as mm-hmm. it comes out and be willing to pivot to learn uh, as we get more information. We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. And get this, while we are based in Anchorage, you don't have to be there to work with us. A lot of the work we do is done remotely. So if you're between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining ATME, go to alaskateenmedia.org join. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Throughout the pandemic, Dr. Zink has been a recurring guest on our podcast to help explain some very complex stuff relating to COVID, and often does so with straightforward analogies. When Rowie spoke with Dr. Zink, she asked her about this talent. Before we get to that, we're going to roll the tape back and play some highlights of Dr. Zink's best analogies. Some of these clips date back to June 2020 when she was first on the podcast. Yeah, so think about the virus a little bit like a messy copy machine. And so every time it replicates, it has to copy its RNA. It has to keep copying itself. And when it copies, it can make some mess-ups. It can miss a letter. It can miss a protein. And each time it does that, uh, the virus changes a little bit. It reminds me a lot of when I take care of a patient in the emergency department who had a car accident and they say, you know, I I wasn't planning on this. This is not part of my day. No one really plans to have a car accident. No one really plans on having the pandemic hit them. But that doesn't mean we don't wear a seatbelt. That doesn't mean that we don't follow the speed limit. It doesn't mean that we don't have public really advocate for no drunk driving. It takes all of those things to minimize car accidents and they still happen. And I think we need to treat COVID in a similar way. When I watch a big group of people getting together for a Memorial Day or a concert, it's like watching an 80 year old on a motorcycle with no helmet going 90. And I'm just like, ah, I hope that goes okay. But I don't think it's gonna go okay. I think of testing as kind of like the headlights on your car. It doesn't prevent it. It doesn't prevent you getting sick or others, but it shows you where you're going and it helps other people know you're there. So if my brights are on on the highway and I know I'm COVID positive, it lets me know that I'm infected and I need to not share it to others. If you get the natural infection, it's a little bit like a choose your own adventure response for your immune system. And you're not really sure how it's gonna respond. And some do really well and some really don't. But the vaccine is kind of just giving you the key uh, to getting to an immune response without the whole choose your adventure um, mishaps that can happen. So think of vaccine as kind of like teaching your body to have a strong armor to help protect you. Good way that I heard described of it recently was think about it as like reading a recipe. Uh, you, uh, your body uh, uh, may choose to make you know the meal all sorts of different ways if it sees the virus itself. Um, but when you have the recipe, you know exactly how to make the response that you need to take down that virus. And the reason we get two shots with the mRNA is it's like seeing flashcards twice. You see it a second time, you're like, wait, I've seen this, I'm ready to go again. You know, we've talked about this before a little bit with like dry wood and a forest fire. 
And if you don't have a place for that fire to jump, it burns out, it can't move further. So if it, this virus doesn't have a person it can live in and jump between, it dies out. Or think of it like your raincoat. Um, when there's a lot of COVID spreading, before just having a raincoat was probably okay, just being vaccinated. But right now it's pouring COVID in most of our state right now. And so some people are gonna get wet and some people are gonna get slushed and it might be worth putting an umbrella out and maybe wearing some boots too. All of the stuff that we've asked people to do, like distance and not be together, is kind of like asking people to hold their breath. Like you can only do it for so long. <laughs> and then people, we need each other and we need to be around each other. You having your seatbelt on keeps you safe, but honestly, you staying in your lane also helps keep the other people safe. And so, you know, if you're going to drive on a road all by yourself and no one else is around, it doesn't really matter what road you're in. But mm -hmm. if you're going to drive with other people, um, it's helpful to follow the laws to try to minimize uh, your chance of running into other people. But trust me, you would not want me to be your electrician, um, and that is not my skill set. But just like you wouldn't want me to be an electrician, talking to your private primary care provider, talking to a trusted resource is the person who's going to have the experience and the history to interpret all this data and make sense of what really is a risk and what's not a risk and help you just like we would ask a plumber or an electrician to help us with the other tools and resources that we need in our house. Is this just like a natural talent of yours? You just like think of these up on the spot or do you like make really a concerted effort to like with colleagues or just on your own, like at your house, like how can I <laughs> phrase this? Like, is this something that you just are so good at? Well, that's a really fun question. You're very sweet. And I kind of had <laughs> forgotten some of those analogies until you brought them back up. My children tease me that I speak too much in analogy. I think, you know, I was an inorganic chemistry and fine arts major minor in, wow. in college. And I, to me, I feel like I understand a problem better when I can learn as much as I can, I can process it, and then I try to teach it. And, right. and through the process of trying to teach it and try to simplify it down, I understand it better. So as I'm learning a new problem, part of my learning technique is to try to think about how to remember it in a different way, how to understand it so that I could teach it better because it helps me to remember it, to explain it. I also think that many times during this and any other challenge when I'm really like, what are these different parts? If I just like close my eyes and think about like, what do I really, what does this feel like to me? That's usually how one of these analogies comes like. It's like, yeah. you know, like the car, like it yeah. feels like driving in the dark. Like I don't right. know where that car is. Like how can we turn on the lights? Right. Um, and so I think we have all these life experiences and it's easy to put like science and medicine in this like other box and right. other it. Right. But the reality is, is it's us and it's human right. and it's messy and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. and right. And that's what I love about medicine. Yeah. That's really sweet. So now that the pandemic is like mostly over, is there anything else that we should be really worried about? You sort of mentioned these viruses that we're monitoring. Um, recently, there's been a fungal outbreak in a uh, um, elderly home, which sort of reminded everyone of the fictional fungus <laughs> cordyceps from The Last of Us. Um, are you worried about something like a fungal infection? Are you worried about these viruses that you're monitoring? Is there anything else that we should be um continuing to look at uh, in terms of going about our daily lives, our future, um, maybe a next pandemic? Yeah, well, my answer is going to be a little bit different to the examples you brought. There's two things that really keep me up at night right now. And one is fentanyl and opioids. Right. And we see, I mean, just this, this weekend working in the emergency department, I had four people who accidentally overdosed. And they all did okay because they had Narcan at home. But like one of them, she took one Norco that was her friend's. 
but 60% of the illicit pills that we see out there look just like regular ones and have enough to kill someone. And so it's the number one reason for cause of death between the ages of 25 and 35. Like that, that is a huge concern that I have is the amount of fentanyl, xylazine, other illicit substances that we're seeing and how a tiny bit can kill. So that's a big area of focus. That's a public yeah. health emergency. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, in that space. The second big bucket is just mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we, as a state, as a country, have struggled with mental health uh, prior to the pandemic and behavioral health. That, I think, was exacerbated for many during this past couple years. Connection. There's this yeah. great quote by John Hyatt. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but the opposite of addiction is connection. Right. And we lost a lot of connections. Yeah. And I think we've got to like like be meaningful about rebuilding those connections. Yeah. So those are like two of a whole series of things right. that I think about. Um, as far as infectious diseases go, um, yeah. I mean, I think a new variant, a new flu like all of those things are constantly on the monitoring list. Right. Um, but my hope is that we have better ways to scale up testing, vaccines, other things now that we can be able to respond more quickly. Yeah. Um, and I I worry about the long-term impacts on just decreased vaccine rates as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hopeful that we don't start seeing more of these preventable diseases mm-hmm. because some of the pushback from what we've seen the last few years. Yeah. And sort of like piggybacking off of that, do you think if there were to be a – next big pandemic do you think that we're prepared for that no okay. <laughs> no. Uh, no i like i'm like sure yeah, no i think uh in some ways i feel like we'd be less prepared than right. we were before because um people are exhausted people are tired um and and understandably so um, yeah. i do think that there's certain things like the mrna platform had mm-hmm. been in development for 20 years to be able to make a rapid development right I think the use of point-of-care testing and at-home testing was really new, this pandemic. And I think that that will be much easier to scale up. So I think that those mechanisms will be easier to scale up and to move forward. Um, But they're only as good as people's interaction with them and willingness to take them or to trust them. And that's what I worry about. I worry about that trust uh, between healthcare, between a provider, between patients, between the government. There's a lot of trust that's been lost. And um, that that's concerning i feel like that's a problem yeah how do we prepare for that if you know if you think that it's um something that we should prepare for it's something that we should at least mentally potentially prepare for how can we repair that and how can we um keep those things in mind for uh potentially future maybe epidemics in local communities or the next big pandemic Yeah, it's a great question, and I think we spend a lot of time thinking about it and talking about it. There's a quote recently that I've been really reflective of, and it's, justice is just us. Mm -hmm. This is all of us, and this is going to take all of us to be involved, to show up for the climate, to be involved in understanding what's happening at government, what's happening with your healthcare provider, having a two-way conversation. I think trust is built with communication and accountability. Um, and as public health professionals, we owe it to be accountable. We owe it to communicate clearly. Mm-hmm. But I think also as individuals, we all play a role in building that trust. And so sure. if people are, you know, critical of, you know, well, this is just the government's just trying to control me or big pharma is this, this and this being like, well, help me understand what that is. Because a lot of times those things come from real meaningful things. A lot of people right. have been very injured by our healthcare system. They've been very injured by public health and they've got good reasons not to trust. Right. And so I think that as, as much as we can do to not just push to other problems, but to lean into problems and, mm-hmm. and understand with compassion, 
I think is how we're going to rebuild trust. But that is going to be every one of us around the dinner conversation. Mm-hmm. As much as it is any governmental, not-for-profit, any organization, the rebuilding of America's trust is going to happen at your dinner table tonight with your friends this evening as much as it's going to happen anywhere else. Yeah. And we all play a role in that. You were speaking uh, earlier about mental health and how mental health was so severely impacted by the pandemic. Um, is there anything that you do have have done over the course of the pandemic to sort of grapple with that? Are there any um, tips or tricks that you have for our audience um, uh, regarding mental health? Yeah, it's a great question. Everyone comes at it from a slightly different place and you know tips that may work for me may be very different for someone else. Sure. I remind myself that balance is a little bit like doing tree pose. You're always falling over. You're just trying not to fall <laughs> over in any one direction yeah, too much. So, right. you know, giving myself space and grace and being like, okay, I didn't exercise today, but I need to exercise tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, being con- Putting away things, putting away the phone, putting away social media, good sleep hygiene. I mean, I think the basics, good sleep, good exercise, good food are going to result in better mental health. So mm-hmm. it's hard when it's busy and it's crazy to prioritize those things. It yeah. is not – I would love to say I have that mastered and I am so far from it. <laughs> right, right, um, right, I think that those are things I do for mental health. Um, my sister, unfortunately, died of suicide. And oh. so I am very mindful about the fact that it, suicide, depression um, is a real disease and it's as, as real as a broken bone or yeah. a heart attack. And the tools – aren't the same for everyone and so I think also being okay for asking for help yeah and if people are feeling overwhelmed knowing that you know your arm doesn't heal right away when it's splinted it takes time mental health doesn't heal right away it takes time but just like a splint having support allows you to heal from the inside out and that doesn't mean you're going to have to have that support forever and sometimes that supports medication Mm -hmm. sometimes that's hospitalization sometimes that's just a friend and that looks different in different people uh, for different reasons definitely personalize it to what you need yep so being alaska's chief medical officer during a pandemic how has that changed you if at all um and what would you say you've done to I'm assuming there was some amount of pressure that you felt. How would you, how have you dealt with that and how have you um, grappled with it, I guess, uh, is the question. Yeah, I I love thinking about things through like a growth mindset. It To me, it there's been pressure, but more than anything, it's been an honor. Like mm-hmm. it's just been, I've gotten to talk to you all. I've gotten to talk to <laughs> You know, tribal elders from around the state, governors, presidents, generals, like all sorts of people. Um, and it's been it's been an incredible honor in that space. Not, you know, not everyone's always going to be happy with everything I do or others do. That's okay. Like that's life. Um, and try to always be honest and open to the feedback that is there. I, I had this case once when I was in residency. It was a 18-year-old kid who got stabbed in the chest and he – was coming in and he lost vitals when he came in so his heart stopped he stopped breathing when he came in long story short we ended up opening up his chest removing the blood from around his heart putting a finger in the hole starting basically blood and he came back to life essentially and a week later he went home and afterwards there was a lot of debate why did you not do this differently how about this how about this and i had this really wise attending say to me once he said ann you always have to do what's right for the patient and remember that the rest is noise. Right. And so I think with the noise and the chaos and the you know pressure of this, um, it's helpful for me to go back to Dr. Fosnott's training years <laughs> ago and say, what's right for the patient? Like what's right for our state? 
And then remember that the rest is noise. And yeah. it's an honor to be a physician. It's an honor to serve as a chief medical officer. Um, and we can each do our best. I'm going to make mistakes. I've made mistakes. I'm going to make more. Right. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all I can do is learn and be humble and try to remember that my like North Star is the people I serve. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions I have for you today. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to mention? Anything else you'd like to say? No, I really appreciate you guys do such a great job of asking great questions and sharing in different ways. And um, yeah, looking forward to, you know, continuing to have conversations. I think that there's a lot of non-infectious disease stuff out there and would love to hear more about what other listeners questions they have about health yeah and myself or others come in to share about it because i love that you guys are asking really great questions thank you thank you so much for being here yeah thank you thank you that was at me producer roey mccowan speaking with alaska's chief medical officer dr ann zink you've been listening to podcast in place from alaska teen media institute Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people, whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including the Alaska Community Foundation. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of our funders. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm AJ Schultz. Thanks for listening. That's it.